So we're going to be talking about John the Baptist today. And so we've got to make a distinction here. The gospel writer, disciple of Jesus, John, is writing about John the Baptist. Now, John, the disciple, as Ethan covered, probably wrote the gospel of John when he was well-aged. He was older. Everyone would have had Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They would have heard the stories about Jesus. They would have heard the stories about John the Baptist. So John is jumping in to when John the Baptist is being questioned by the Pharisees. So we got to kind of cover a little bit about who John was. And I think as a church, we can kind of piece some stuff together from what we know. So who is John the Baptist? Tell me something that you know about John the Baptist. Founder of the Southern Baptist Convention. Founder of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's funny. <laughs> well, what do we know about John the Baptist? Cousin of Jesus. Okay, what else? He lived in the wilderness. Locusts and honey. Now we got a chili cook-off tonight, right? Anybody making locusts and honey chili? Because that sounds delicious. <laughs> no, no. What else do we know about John? Jumped when his cousins came to see him. And what, weren't they in the womb at the time? Wasn't even born yet. Parents were old. Parents were old. So we know, we know a lot about John. and We know that he was Jesus' cousin. He was actually born before Jesus was born. He ate locusts and honey. He wore camel hair and a leather belt. He was kind of a strange fellow. So John jumps in, knowing that we know some of these things about John. We've heard those stories. But he jumps in in John chapter 1. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to them, Who are you? We need you to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So here you have a very common scenario. Somebody is saying that they're from God. They're doing the, these messages of repentance. Because that's what John was doing. was telling Israel to repent and follow God. And so it would be, be normal to, for the Pharisees to go, Priests, Levites, go, go see what's going on. And they're asking them these big loaded questions. Who are you, John, to do these things? What title do you have to have this authority? Are you the Christ? He goes, no, I'm not the Christ. And as we just, we, we've talked about, Jesus is the Messiah that John's writing about that we would believe in. So John rightly says, I am not the Christ. Are you Elijah? Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who did a lot of really cool miracles, and he never died. He went up to heaven in a flaming chariot. And the other, only other person that may not have died was Enoch. Scripture says he walked with God, and then he on earth, and he was no longer on earth. So maybe those two, but we know Elijah never experienced death. But why are they asking for him to be, are you Elijah? Well, we got to turn to Malachi for that. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was writing at a time that Israel was, were, 
was kind of come back to the promised land, but they weren't hearing from God anymore. Malachi was the last one to say, thus says the Lord. And actually, God entered a time of 400 years of silence, of not speaking to his people before Jesus came. And so they are looking at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest they come strike the land with a decree of utter destructions. So they're asking him, are you the one that's going to come? Are you Elijah to be ready for the Messiah to come, the Savior to come? Are you that person? And John says, no, I am not. Which I wrestled and I struggled with this this week because if you read different parts of the Bible, you know that John is Elijah. Now, now that doesn't make sense because John's John the Baptist and Elijah's Elijah. But we read in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, this is the angel Gabriel speaking to Zechariah and Elizabeth about who John was going to be. And in verse 16, we read, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. John was going to come to bring reconciliation. He was going to come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. So is John the Baptist physically Elijah reincarnate? No. He's not, it's not like God took Elijah and was like, okay, I put you into heaven. Okay, I'm going to make you a baby again. That's not what happened. But John the Baptist came with the power and spirit of Elijah. Now, here's what's really interesting. There was a lot of parallels between John and Elijah when you look at them. And I have a few of them. They're going to be up there as well. They both preached repentance to Israel who had fallen from God. They said, turn your hearts back to God. That was the main mission. That was the main message. They both dressed alike. They're both kind of odd. Elijah had a garment of hair and a leather belt. John the Baptist had specifically camel hair and a belt. I don't think that would be too comfortable to wear, but that was the way they dressed. They both preached against evil kings. They called them out. They were bold. Any of you uh, wives had somebody say something bad about your husband? Did that make you mad and angry? Yeah, the queens threatened their lives, both of them. Talk bad about my husband, my king. I'm going to be mad at you and wanted them dead. Both had their lives threatened by queens. And here's the one that got me this week. Here's the one that's just like, ow. They both suffered from depression and doubts. These mighty men of God had depression and doubts. John the Baptist, when he was in prison, after we're going to, we read already, but we're going to go into a little bit more, when he says, look, there's the Lamb of God. I'm here to point to the King. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. Here's what I'm here for. When he's in prison, he sent messengers to Jesus saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Or... or was this for nothing that somebody else coming? He started to doubt. Big proclamations, then doubt came. And then Elijah, in, in 1 Kings 19, 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. They both had doubt and depression. They both struggled. But can you imagine Elijah doing these miraculous miracles and hearing from God and going, just, just take me away. I'm done. And this is a little sidebar, but I've talked to too many pastors that have suffered from depression and whether it's chemical imbalance or other things. I had one particularly had a chemical imbalance, needed medication, balanced him out. He had a, a, just a mental depression that could be treated. But he was afraid to tell his church because there's people in his church that said, you don't have enough faith, then you can't be the pastor. He knew that's what they would say. Now, one thing I know about memorials, we can be honest about our life and our experiences, and we can look at these mighty men and see how they struggled and admit that we struggled too because we, we look to connect authentically. And I'll be honest, this week for me has been a lot of ups and downs. Reading God's Word and looking at John going, what am I even going to preach? Am I qualified? Can I do this? Because it's kind of a weird message to put together for me for some reason. So I struggled with that. And for those of you who follow my wife and I on Facebook, you know this is the six-year anniversary of us almost losing our son. Having 38 hours of no sleep, wondering if he's going to live because he had emergency surgery at eight days old. And after that, I'll be honest, I had a lot of depression and doubt. I rejoiced because I saw how God walked miraculously. But then afterwards, I became, I, I questioned sometimes, was that really God or was it other things? You know, this week, there's a lot of mixed emotions with that. I'm thankful. I'm so praised for that. My son's here. But I also think, like, I have friends that have lost their kids and how painful that is. And there's been times I drive a semi that I, I, I've cried while driving down the road this week, just pondering about this message and those things. And then am I really qualified to say this if I struggle with them myself? Much like John the Baptist and Elijah. You see, John the Baptist just came like Elijah in the power and the spirit. Now, how do we know that John the Baptist is Elijah? Well, that's what Gabriel told his parents. But even Jesus himself spoke about this. Oh, it's sticking together. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says this. And the disciples asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and that they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that they were speaking of John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist is in the power and the spirit of Elijah, calling for repentance, calling for people to get ready. And what was his main message? His main message was, prepare the way of the Lord. That is a direct quote from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 3 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain will be made low. And even the ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
So John the Baptist doesn't take any of these titles. But he says, I'm the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Now, if you're looking at your Bibles, I want you to look at the, the word Lord. It is all capitals, right? Does anybody see that? You know why it's all capitals? Because it stands for the name of God, yod He vav He. The consonants, the letters, were, vowels were taken out, so we have just the consonants, yod He vav He. Some people pronounce that as Yahweh. That's what we think kind of, we try to add into, kind of go, this is probably what it was. So what Isaiah is saying is, prepare the way for Yahweh, for the name, the personal name of God. Make straight a highway for God. Now, when we think of prepare the way, the best way I can think of it is really this is a kingship, a king declaration. Okay? Somebody, you're in a village, you're in a town, you're in a city, and somebody's running ahead of the king going, hey, prepare, prepare, get out of the way, move it, move it. We need a path for the king to come through. So here you have Isaiah saying from the wilderness, there's a king coming. God is coming. We have that today, don't we? Have you, has anybody ever seen the presidential motorcade on TV or maybe in person? What do they do? Ahead of the way, they block off the streets, road barrier, road barrier, police escorts. And if you get in the way of that, you're not going to have a very good day. So, I mean, we kind of understand what does it mean to prepare the way for a king or prepare the way for a president, for somebody important. So John here is saying, I'm here to prepare the way for God to come. What else does Isaiah say? Says that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So prepare the way, prepare the hearts of Israel because the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And that glory of the Lord is Jesus Christ. And all flesh will see it from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So these priests and Levites, the Pharisees sent them to question John. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah, nor the prophet? You have no authority to say these things. You have nobody. Why are you saying these things? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he comes after me, the strap of whose sanders I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. John's saying, there's somebody coming. We've been waiting 400 years, and someone's coming. Somebody, I'm not even worthy to untie their shoe. That's a low position. There's a humbleness to John that it's none of those things matter. I'm just here for something else, to get you ready. And in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John's mission, John's focus isn't on himself. It doesn't matter about him, but he's saying, Look, there's Jesus, and that is why I'm here. John 1, chapter Chapter 1, verses 6 and 8, John was to be a witness to the light. His whole mission and purpose would be a witness to Jesus and say, Look, behold Jesus. We have that same 
purpose. We have that same mission is to be a witness and appoint people to Jesus. <clears throat> I used to work at a Hy-Vee drugstore and Hy-Vee wine and spirits. I was a manager, kind of jack of all trades in it. Young guy, I was in college. My wife and I was engaged, waiting to get married. And I worked a lot of nights, a lot of late nights closing the store down. And there's this girl I worked with. She was in high school. And she was interesting. She was agnostic, was into Confucius, Confucian, or however you want to say that, the Chinese proverbs. And that's what she modeled a life after. She was a dancer. And we would have a lot of conversations about life, you know. When it's at night, at, if you've worked night at retail, it gets kind of slow. So you have a lot of downtime. So we got in conversations, and sometimes we talk about God. Sometimes we talk about silly things that she was having problems with a boyfriend or whatever. You know, we would talk about things, and at times we'd talk about God. I'd tell her she's wrong, like, and she'd tell me I was wrong, and we'd have these polite conversations. Never went anywhere. Just, just dead-end conversations, but yet she was open, so we, we talked. And this was a time in my life when my wife and I was in Cedar Rapids, we... We struggled to find a church to connect with. We'd visit this one, visit that one, but it was never really a connection to the church, to a, a body like, like here. Don't know why, never could figure it out, and then God called us to go back to Winterset, and we got heavily involved again. It wasn't that we were running away, it's just we couldn't find a church that we liked, and that we, we felt like we could belong. So we had these conversations, and my, my light, like as far as what like Christian walk would be of being in church every Sunday wasn't there, but... We had these conversations, never going anywhere. Then one day I'm just closed up. I'm walking to my car and this car comes peeling in and I'm jumping. I'm going, who's this lunatic that just ran, almost ran me over? And she stops. She jumps out of the car and is like, you won't believe what just happened. I'm like, what? You just, you were at dance camp. Like what, what, what could have possibly happened that you were going to run me over? I accepted Jesus as my savior. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. I was super pumped and super excited. But then part of me goes, I'm really annoyed. Because I spent all this time and effort sharing the gospel, sharing life and what God's doing, what I'm seeing in his word, what's going on in life, having all these conversations. I wanted to be the one to go, you need Jesus. She goes, yes, I do. But somebody else took the glory and took the credit. Now, 100%, that is the wrong attitude to have. <laughs> I admit that, and I struggled with that. But then, you know, as I'm wrestling through John, talking about John the Baptist and how he goes, it's not about me. I'm pointing people to Jesus, and our witness is supposed to be like that. We talk about declaring the gospel boldly, to teach it boldly. What does that look like? And often we talk about how it's like, you know what? You need Jesus. Here's how you need it. Here's the five steps. Here's the ABCs. Here's the Roman road. And we have these, these programs, these diagrams, or we have these apologetic philosophical methods, which is all amazing and all good. But let me simplify it to you. John's purpose was to bear witness. The light's coming. Jesus is coming. Behold the Lamb of God. Our witness is solely pointing to Jesus. And we need to prepare people to, to turn to Jesus. 
It is not our responsibility to make somebody believe. No matter how much I want somebody to believe, that's not our responsibility, but our responsibility is to point. Behold, look. What does that look like in our lives? How do we be a witness in our lives to point people to Jesus? Well, it's by coming alongside people and having authentic relationships. Sharing what God's done in our lives. Being a witness. You know what? My son almost died six years ago. The surgeon that did the surgery wasn't supposed to be there. He was supposed to be out of town on vacation. Nothing was working, and they called him up just by, maybe he'll be here, and he was at home in his pajamas. He came home early for no reason just to come home. And he did the surgery, and my son's here today. God did that. And we all, when we, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, we all have these stories of what God's done. Well, it's something big and miraculous, or it's like, you know what? I was this lost kid who struggled, whose parents was in a broken home, and God gave me a family and gave me hope. See, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us to be ready. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Be ready to give an answer to why do we have hope? We have hope because of what God's done in our personal lives. We have hope by knowing His Word. Part of preparing the way is to be in God's Word. And that's why last year we encouraged the entire church, let's read the Bible together. And that was huge. And now we're like, okay, we're going to slow down. We're going to be in John forever. I mean, it's not going to be till the end of April that we're going to be in John chapter 2. But we want to encourage you to read it. Now, some of you might be going, no, I'm going to read where we're at. I'm going to read it over and over. And if you do that, I think that's awesome. I want to encourage you to get a cross-reference Bible and look at these references to the Old Testament and other areas and see how God's working in it. And we also encourage, maybe you want to read it a chapter a day and you're going to read it a dozen times. But we need to be in His Word so we're ready to give an answer. When somebody goes, why do you believe this? Why do you believe in Jesus? talking to my brother about this and we had fun conversation about it last night on why what's the hope got fun different beliefs going on but you know we, we talked through those and that's part of being a witness is giving an answer even though those answers are hard but also there's a key when we are witness for christ we need to do it with gentleness and respect there's a lot of things in this world right now that we could be screaming at the top of our lungs that that is sin and wrong and you're destroying people. And there's things that I see in society that makes me just burn inside. But what do we do with somebody who comes in and they don't know Christ and they live a lifestyle that is vehemently against God? Rather that's sin, pornography, addictions, or prostitution or whatever you want to put up there. And maybe it's just, you know, I just don't like God and I want to do my own thing. All those things are categorically together. We do it with gentleness and respect. That girl I witnessed to that somebody else took the credit. I told her she was wrong at times. She told me I was wrong at times. Because here's the thing. One of us is wrong. And that's okay. So we can talk about that. So when we witness to people, when we share what God's doing, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, that is your responsibility to do.
To be bold like John the Baptist and say, look, there is Jesus. There he is. Now, we don't have time to go into what the Lamb of God is. In a couple weeks, we will as we celebrate Palm Sunday. But for now, let us reflect as Nathan comes up. How are we a witness to those around us? How are we pointing to Jesus with our lives, the way we live, the way we share with people? Is there maybe somebody on your mind that they don't know Jesus and I should invite them over for dinner and just talk and share about who God is and what God's done in my life? It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It doesn't have to be anything rehearsed, but just share and point. This is who Jesus is and this is why I love him. And this is why he loved me and he's forgiven me of my sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the example that you've given us with John the Baptist, with Elijah. Your call to be your witness. I pray you give us boldness to be willing to just share who you are. To share life with people that we disagree with. And for those that our hardest love. Maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's a co-worker. May you give us a heart of gentleness and respect as we share and point people to your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.